All right, let's go to the message. A little something God dropped in my heart. Come with me to 1 Corinthians. As I've mentioned to you so many times over the years, I pray quite a lot about what I'm to speak on on any given occasion. And that includes the little Oasis show that I do. I get some good reports from that as well. The messages seem to be very timely. And I just sit and meditate and pray before I turn on my phone, my camera, and do a little show. But I pray and I contemplate and I think, and this just popped up in my mind. If we've gone over it before, it's been a long time since we have. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it's been in the interest of time that I haven't been reading it every single week when we have communion service. But that's what this deals with. But it has a lot in it that I want to look at with you. We're at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse 23, and we'll read right down to verse 32. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Just a comment here as I'm reading. Remember the Apostle Paul never met the Lord Jesus physically. So this isn't as though Peter was writing it, James or John. This is someone who never physically met the Lord, but in visions and appearances. And he says that he received this of the Lord, and I gave it to you. I delivered it unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body. And another comment there, the damnation that's being spoken of couldn't be eternal damnation because in a moment he's going to talk about being chastened. And we'll look at that this morning in the message. So let's look at verse 30 after what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul. When the emblems of Christ's body and the emblems of Christ's blood and what it means is not properly discerned and someone is taking it in an unworthy manner. Look what it says. For this cause, for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. That's a euphemism for death. Think of this. We have communion here every single Sunday as more institutional churches do that, more so than Protestant churches in general. And it says that every time you're having communion, examine yourself. You don't want to be found in a place of presumption, a place of being unworthy in your attitude, in your heart, of taking the Lord's Supper because you're drinking judgment to yourself. And then the scriptures, right, which are inspired by the Holy Spirit, tell us that when that's done, this is the reason people are getting sick in the congregation or weak. They're getting sick and some even die premature. And obviously it wouldn't be written that way if that was a good thing. For some who teach like, well, sickness, you know, God's trying to teach you something. Sickness to me is just a tiny slice of death, which God through Christ has overcome. So can it be used for good? Sure. I don't believe that on average God uses that. 
And so he says here, if you're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, it's going to cause sickness, it's going to cause weakness, sickness, it's even going to cause death in the congregation. Now for us, the question is, do we actually really believe that? All right, then verse 31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So I'll stop there. The phrase, it occurred to me, and these are the verses that came to my mind when it did occur to me, how often here in America, we will use the expression, honest to God. So we'll tell a story and, you know, someone will say, did that really happen? I said, I'm telling you, honest to God. And what that means is that we are taking God as a witness, like we do in courts of law, left hand on the Bible, right hand solemnly swear and all that. We're calling God as a record in a very loose fashion that what we're saying is actually true, but it's almost always used in a lighthearted manner, honest to God. So I gave this message that title, honest to God, that it is important, to say the least, that we are honest with God. If you really take the time to think about it, as I just mentioned when we sang the song, why should I be discouraged? His eye is on the sparrow. Jesus teaches us that every single bird, again, how many trillions upon trillions of birds there are in the world, he knows every single one of them. And then again, the hairs on our head, everyone is numbered. He knows how many hairs on your head, knows every single bird. Not one will fall to the ground today, and many, many will, right? Their life will have expired. But it will not be done without the knowledge, the permission, and the awareness, and so on, of God himself. Nothing goes on in this world that God is not aware of. And so when we take that into consideration, it's incumbent upon us by looking at this text. I'll say it this way to you, if you actually believe it. If you were to say to me, Pastor, are you saying that because communion is taken in an unworthy fashion, that people are weak and people are sick and some even have died because of it? My answer to you would be, no, I'm not saying that. The Bible's saying that. So now it's a question of whether we believe it or not. So right away, I want to go to David, who stated, keep me back from presumptuous sins. I've gone over with you many, many times on the teachings of grace. Again, damnation over here in verse 29 could not possibly mean eternal damnation because he mentions chastening so that a true believer in Christ is not going to be condemned with the world. But we don't want to be disciplined by God. We want to be able to go before God before he has to initiate a discipline and say to him, this is wrong. I'm wrong. And I'm turning from it. I have observed, we start with high profile people, people who are always in the media, in the church and outside the church, politics, wherever. When they have what I'll call hidden sins, God is speaking to them to straighten that out while it's still private. When it is not straightened out in private, and I'm talking now specifically of Christians, then God lets it go public. Now you have all this pressure. I want to talk to you in a couple of minutes about humility, but now I'll state to you there is a difference between humility and humiliation. Humility will keep you from being humiliated, but humiliation is just one of the tools in my estimation that God will use to chasten us so that we're not condemned with the world. You say, well, that's good news, and I think that it is good news, but I'm saying to you, it's best to avoid the discipline and chastening of God, because his discipline and chastening can be quite severe. So I want to take apart the text here that I've just read, just some parts of it, 
And mention again, it is important that we understand this is the time right now that we are honest to God. So if you've ever used the expression, and I'm sure that I have, I'm sure that probably we all have, let's now turn it and roll it the other way and make it a serious statement and say it's time to be honest with God. You could ask, uh, or rather add there, just be honest with yourself, but generally speaking, many, many people don't really want to be honest with themselves, and they don't want to be honest with God. So let me share with you how, after I read this verse that we've just read, it's verse 31, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31 says, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Well, how do we judge ourselves? There's two extremes that people are liable to fall to. One is you go easy on yourself and you make less of it than it actually is. The Bible says that God hates pride and arrogance and the evil way. That may be in your life, but you give yourself, you know, kind of a break about it. The other extreme is that after confessing it and turning from it, you don't ever let go of it. And that, in my mind, is a bit of an insult to the blood of Christ. So there's two extremes. And man, Mankind, humanity, you, me, everybody, we are a creature of extremes. Either we're always accenting sin and everything that we see and do, or we don't accent it at all. And be clear about this, if we're going to have a third great awakening in America, if God is going to intervene, if our song, God bless America, is to actually come true, then we're going to have to have honesty before God. And that means you're going to have to be honest with yourself. Now, how is this done? Well, this Bible here is a mirror. And it's the only way that we can do this accurately is to look and see what it says, what God condemns, that we must condemn it. And what God says, now do this, we must do it. And I can't help but remind you all the time of sin being one of two categories. Not only what you're doing that God said not to do, but what you're not doing that God said to do. Everyone here today, Everybody watching by way of the live stream, listening by way of the radio who professes Christ has at least one talent, at least one, that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, use it or lose it. Listen, we're going to be honest to God. We have to be honest to God. You know you have a talent, whatever that may be, and you're not using it. Well, then it's sin, and that's what you have to call it. You can't just say, oh, and then you go through a long line of excuses. That's all they are. I may buy your excuse. I may say, well, you know, I may just not have the inclination to have you wear me down with all these, you know, why you can't. But let me tell you this, you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for why you did not use your talent. That's if you have one. Some have 10. And to whom more is given, when people say, oh, you're, you're so talented. You do this, you do art, you do music, you do this, you do that, you memorize. Huh, well, there's a lot of work that goes into that because a lot is required. But everybody has at least one. My question to you today, we could talk about adultery, and we could talk about bearing false witness against your neighbor and taking the name of the Lord in vain and all these things, but you have at least one talent, and what are you doing with it? And if the answer is nothing, be honest before God and say, God, I gotta turn from this, and I gotta get busy. If there's ever an hour of history for professing Christians to get busy, this is the hour. And don't wait for the pastor or your church to provide you with a program. Go to before God. We read it, I think, just recently in James chapter 1. If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of God. God will give you the answer. You'll know what to do. And I'm speaking to those who just have one talent. Just one. That's all you have to even think about. Just the one talent you have. Make sure you use it and make sure it increases. 
And make sure it's used for the kingdom of God. Just recently, the Lord reminded me of something as I've been playing more guitar these last couple of years than I have in a while. As my mind was thinking of music and things to do with music, he reminded me of what I did when I was first born again. I had an ovation, I still have it, that looks like this one over here. And I had been playing it in you know, secular ways. And it occurred to me that it was time now to use my talent for God. So I took this guitar, and I still have it, as I said. I anointed it with oil, and I lifted it up there in our apartment back in Yonkers. And I said, Lord, now this talent is for you. Ever since, I've been playing my music for the Lord. I want to emphasize that the more talents you have, the harder you have to work. But just to make the point one more time, everybody here has at least one talent. You decide before God what that talent is and use it for the glory of the kingdom of God. And let God add to you as he pleases and everything else. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So we look into the book and it's a mirror and we see how much of our reflection is in the book. And what we see that is not reflected in our life in the book, we change. We change before the Lord. It takes honesty. I shared with you, I've shared this publicly. If God forbid my heart would ever turn against the Lord, I mean 100% turn against the Lord, I believe I can make a very good case against Christianity. And I'll tell you why. Because the contradictions in what people profess and what the book actually says are so, so many that I think a case could be made that would be convincing to many people to turn them away from Christ. But what has always kept me is that Christ himself, I've never found any fault. Like Pilate said that, I find no fault with this. I never found any fault with Christ. And so I've just simply decided with my own life, be faithful to Christ, don't pay attention. I say so much, sometimes I don't pay any attention to what other people are doing. I only concentrate on what I'm doing, what I'm called to do, and to make it to the finish line. And just to alleviate any questions or anxieties, I'm not writing a book against Christianity. I'm simply saying I've seen so many things that are contradictions and outright hypocrisy that it wouldn't be all that difficult to make a statement, but it would never do any damage to Christ himself. Christ is Christ. Follow Christ and you'll never go wrong. Others, that's negotiable, it depends. Some are good, some are bad as far as the ministry is concerned, churches are concerned. But if you follow Christ, you'll never, never be on the wrong path. But you have to be honest to God. You have to be honest with God. And first of all, that starts with being honest with yourself. At this stage of your life, wherever you are, whatever your age is, are you satisfied with your growth? Are you satisfied with how you've been spending your time? Are you living your life at the moment saying, well, thankfully, Pastor, as far as up till today, I don't have any real regrets. Now, we all have regrets. But the moment that you turn to Christ, you should be able to make a statement to yourself, to the Lord, that I don't want to live my life with any more regrets. That takes wisdom from the book. It takes dedication. And you're going to make mistakes, but that's not what I'm talking about. We all make mistakes. That's how we learn. We learn from our failures. I'm talking about, once again, this is what the book says is a denial of it. And listen, <laughs> if you think that doing something wrong is going to work out right, well, just think of how much common sense does it take to figure out that statement. What is wrong can never turn out right. And I must say, I feel a compassion on people who profess Christ and been around a long time. They say many things and you see what they're doing wrong and you point it out to them and they either blow it off or they're offended by it. But be sure of this. Whatever goes into your garden 
If it's a carrot seed, you do expect a carrot to come up. To expect anything else is not thinking correctly. What we sow is what we reap. And you want to live your life with no regrets, because it's going to go fast. You younger people, listen to me. I didn't think anything older people told me was true. They told me about aches and pains. I said, not me. I work out, I exercise. Well, I think it stayed off a lot of things, but there they are. This is what the old people were talking about. <laughs> this is what they meant. And it is me. But how fast, as we get older, we can testify, as others did before us, how fast the life is gone. And so you want to be honest with God, and you want to come before God and say, as I read this, and I hear this, and I see this, this is not me, this is not what I'm doing, and conversely, what I should be doing, I'm not doing it. God, I turn from that. God, help me, because I'm going to be honest with you today, and that's what you say before the Lord. I'm going to be honest with you today. Take the little foxes like fear and anxiety and depression, which I deal with on nearly a daily basis on my small show, The Oasis, and, you know, I try to remind the people that do watch, I have people who watch every single day, and I do try to remind them that this is to be overcome. This is something that can be changed. If you're an anxious person, that's something you can change. We can't change what's going on all around us in the world. That we have to accept and pray. But you can change your fearful temperament. You say, I've had it all my life. It still can change. And more than that, and I'll put it on a serious note, there's an obligation to change it. Because it brings no glory to God when you're anxious and nervous and fearful. Now, I'm not here to condemn you for that, nor blame you. I'm just simply saying, we want to be able to give glory to God. I'll talk to you about that in a minute. So first of all, you have to be honest about your own life, honest about life in general. Yesterday, I made a small show on the Oasis. It's advice I often give mostly to younger people to accept life as it is, not the way you wish it would be, not the way you thought it was going to be, not the way your opinion is. Accept life as it is, but change what you can change. You can change yourself with the grace of God and so on. But there's certain things you cannot change. And if you want to be at peace, you have to accept that. You have to accept the world we live in the way it is until Christ comes and makes the ultimate change. I ask you this morning, are you willing to be honest with God? Or would you prefer not to look in the mirror? You know, in the gym where I go, they had a regular, I call it a doctor scale, the kind you step on. And when I would step on it from time to time, because I, you know, this was no use in me stepping on. If it was at zero, I always knew there was a woman on it before me. Or if I was, you know, working with someone and there was a woman just helping her out training or something, I said, well, I know you're not supposed to ask this, but, you know, you're trying to lose weight. You said, what, what do you weigh? I don't know. I never get on the scale. Well, how do we know? You know, I mean, what we're working with, if you're not going to be honest enough to get on the scale and say, whoa. Well, you make up a number and that number suits you, but it's not what the scale says. And further... Pictures don't lie. <laughs> you ever look at a picture, you say, you say, whoa. They don't lie. And more than photographs and more than scales, the book does not lie. On any point, it does not lie. Number one, you've got to be honest to God in this message that is titled by the same phrase. Number two, humility before God. We sing that little song. It's been around for a while. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will pick you up. Humility is a virtue that is extolled by almost every religion in the world. Humility. Many of you perhaps don't have a very high opinion of yourself, and that's one extreme. That's, I'm just nothing, I'm nobody. That's not true. But on the other hand, we have a few who think too highly of themselves. 
You could think too highly of your knowledge of the Bible, your prayer life. And that's how it sneaks in. It's those little foxes you don't realize because you pray longer and better than some do. And you study longer and know more about the Bible than some do. It can cause pride to develop. You don't know it because you haven't been looking in the mirror. And so you lack humility. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. It's not what we find in most superstars in almost any arena of athletics, politics, and even sometimes, sadly, the church. You don't find that there's a humility there. But Christ, who was God come in the flesh, was humble, and it was meek. And while we're on this subject of humility, let me say this is the very opposite of what is taught in the world. You know, the motivational speeches, many of them hang on the fact that, you know, you got to go out and make a name for yourself. And Jesus, lowly and meek, said at one point that he had no certain place to lay his head. I wouldn't call him homeless. I think that's stretching the point he was making too far. The whole universe is his. But he was just talking about his nature. And with that, let me say this to you. Isn't that why we came to Jesus? Because a lot of other people that we were dealing with, whether we knew it intellectually or just intuitively, there's a lot of pride there. But we know that we come to God in prayer and we come to God for help. We know that he's going to hear us. We know that he's going to help us. We know that he's there for us. It's intuitive. God is not going to cast us away. But what would facilitate him pushing us aside is the fact that we come like the Pharisee. I'm glad I'm not like the other Christians at my church. I read more and I pray more and I uh, witness more, and I do this more. And God is very specific about that. He says, you're justifying yourself. I'm the one that justifies. But if you're on the other extreme saying, I'm a nobody, what can I do? You're contradicting the Lord. Moses did that. He wasn't too crazy about going in the ministry. And he said to the Lord, he said, well, uh, I can't speak. I stutter. There you go. So I can't go to Egypt. And God, the Bible says, got angry with him. He said, your brother can speak, can he? Oh, yeah. I says, okay, so I will put my word in your mouth. You will be his prophet, and you will tell him what to speak. God always has a solution. God always has a solution so that in the end there's no excuse. Well, I can't do this, and I can't do that. That is not humility. That's denial. That's denial of what this book says. We were made in the image and likeness of God. It's not humility. It's some type of uh, distress of your self-esteem. Don't go to extremes. Just say what God says. Humility is necessary. Verse 32 says that, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. And I said this to you a few weeks back, maybe a couple of months back. When was the last time you thanked God for the chasing and discipline in your life? And I know that many of you are going through it. I go through it. And I know that this is the hand of the Lord. Do I like it? Well, even the scriptures say no, because the Apostle Paul writes, he says, no discipline for the moment seems to be joyous, but grievous, grief. But afterward, he says, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You're disciplined by the Lord. You're being disciplined by the Lord. You're being pruned. You're being cut back. It could be because he wants you to bear more fruit where there's not actually any real sin that's active, or he's just dealing with something in your life that you've not judged. And I'll say this to you again. When is the last time that you, I use the word training, when is the last time that you thank God for the arduous training that you're going through right now? That doesn't come natural for us. 
count it all joy, my brethren, when you go through various trials. Who in the right mind counts adversity and grief and all that as a joy? Well, none of us do. It's, it's, it's grievous. But he says, count it joy, because afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Then in James 1, it tells us we'll start to have a type of patience that can hold on to God forever until we get an answer. Until we get an answer from God. Until we see with our eyes and feel with our hands, like Thomas said, the answer that we've been praying about. When is the last time that you thanked God for the discipline that's on your life? And if I'm any judge of human nature, it's probably not been recently. And over all the years that you've known the Lord, it's probably not been a lot. I think, knowing you here today, I think that you're very grateful. Pastor, I got a testimony, great thing happened. You know, we're all happy with that. And that's what we want to see. I don't know how often I've gotten a letter, a card, an email, or a, a statement after a service to say, I just want to thank God for all the grief I'm going through right now. I mean, he's really disciplining me. He's really chastening me. But once I was um, complaining, I want to say explaining, but it was really complaining, to someone about this and that and the other thing. This is many years ago. And he said something that just really didn't strike me right. But in the end, as I consider it, it was right. But at the moment, that's not what you wanted to hear. What was it? So I'm going through the trial after trial and this and frustration and obstacles and whatever. And this uh, brother in the Lord said to me, he said, well, have you thanked God for the compliment? I said, what compliment? And he explained Job and all of that, that the Lord knows that, number one, I can take it. And number two, that this is going to make me better. Well, that's not what I wanted to hear. What you want to hear is someone is going to tell you, okay, here's the way out of that. And then do this or do that. So I say again, when's the last time you thank God for the training that's going on in your life? If indeed it's going on in your life. I often make illustrations about physical fitness and workouts and all of that because I know it very, very well. I saw a young man yesterday who I've known casually over a few years who is a bodybuilder who once told me when we were just talking about fitness and he said to me in a very curt tone, bodybuilding is my life. I thought to myself, all the years I've been working out, if this was all I had in life, I wouldn't be very, very deep, very rich. Well, I just saw him again yesterday, and you could see what steroids are doing to him, his face, his everything. And when he looked at me, and I just simply said, good morning, um, which in steroid language is like. <laughs> so I don't know what decibel he was hearing my voice. I just said, hey, good morning. And he had this look like, like I'll kill you. Well, let me just say this, and this is the truth to some degree. Taking steroids is all show muscle. There are people who work very, very hard in the gym and take steroids. Those are the guys you see on television. Those are the world-class bodybuilders that are not natural. But what I want to say is this. The guys who really want to succeed in anything in life, they work very hard. People that want to succeed work very, very hard. Secular books can tell you that. This idea of new money versus old money, what's old money? Old money is you get a job that has a steady income, you have a few side hustles, and you bring in the income. New money is, uh, and I meet a lot of young people, and I say, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm called to be an entrepreneur. They don't have a penny in their pocket, but they're called to be an entrepreneur. Day trading. Let me tell you, day trading can be exceptionally stressful, because I know a few, and I knew a man who held a seat on the stock exchange. I told you that just recently. That's a stressful life. But they're called to be entrepreneurs, which is another way of saying, I don't want to go to work. I want to make the quick money, hit the lottery with that person over there in, where was it, Illinois or Idaho or wherever they want a billion dollars, over a billion dollars. I felt kind of happy for them. 
but I don't wish it was me. That's how many people think today. Gonna make quick money, gonna get it quick, gonna get it easy. There's no such thing as an easy life. If you're gonna be a real success, become a real man of God, a real woman of God, you're gonna to have to earn it, and that means the chastening of the Lord, and that means you're gonna to have to have humility to realize that you have sinned, that Nathan has come to you and said, you're the man, you're the woman, and accept it, as David did, and went before the Lord and said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. That takes humility. Pride and arrogance, once again, the Lord hates it. Again, we could justify ourselves to each other, but it's just pretense, it's just show muscle. It's just, you know, Bible verses coming, flowing from the lips. But the real sense of the anointing that we sang about earlier is simply not there. And the only way you can get there is to submit and humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and have humility to admit, I'm being honest with you, God, and I know that this is not right. Number two, and it could be a multitude of things. Number two, I have the humility to submit to your chastening, which is gonna come, it's gonna come. If you were a good parent, and here's something that is definitely not politically correct. If you were a good parent, you chastened your children, right? Talking to a friend of mine who may be watching the sermon right now, the message right now. We were talking about the days in school, and I'm talking about Catholic school, where when you didn't know the answer, out came the rod. Now I can tell you, in my case, that did not increase learning. It increased pain, but it didn't increase learning. But there was an idea behind that that I don't think I would subscribe to as far as teaching people. But the thought is that if you're going to learn something, you're going to have to work hard at it. And you're going to have to have humility. You're going to have to admit that you don't know everything in your field where there is a lot to know, or you already know a lot, I meant to say. And you're going to have to admit that you don't know everything. And then if you don't know anything about what you're doing, this is what my habit and this is what I do when I don't know anything or very little about a subject. I ask everybody who does, everybody who knows more than me, I don't care if they're little kids, old people, don't matter. I'll ask question after question after question after question and in a space of time, it could be small space or large space. I know what every one of them knows, I absorb it, I read a few books about it and all of a sudden I've increased my knowledge and that takes humility. It takes humility to go someplace and to turn to someone and I've done this and say, I gotta tell you the truth, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me out? Instead of pretending. So this story comes to mind. I was on the range, I like to shoot, it makes me feel at peace. I mean, for the right reasons. I mean, it helps, it helps me to focus. I just like target shooting. And there was a young guy next to me, and he had a big shadow target. I mean, a big one. And he was standing there. He never hit paper. I mean, this target is the size of me. And I was just shooting and just watching. And he took out, you know, put another magazine in. Never hit paper. So uh, he said to me, he says, hey, you know anything about Glocks? And I said, well, you know, and we got to talking. I said, but maybe it's not the gun. Maybe it's the operator, which that didn't please him. I could see on his face that that didn't make him happy. <laughs> then he let me know that he, he works for the New York State Troopers. So in my own way of teasing and so forth with people, and I don't even know this guy, and I've never seen him since. I said, well, you know, you work for the Troopers. Well, let's just think of it this way. You're never going to be in jeopardy of going to prison or jail for killing a perp. <laughs> let's be positive. He didn't like that either. So he took his stuff and he left. Had he had enough humility to come over and say, you know, how do you shoot straight? I could have showed him, I could have taught him, but he didn't. So he's out there somewhere serving you. <laughs> Just be careful. If you don't know something, be humble about asking for help. 
Be humble about saying, I don't understand this, and then you will learn. That's the key. Honesty before God, humility before God, and here's the next one. If you don't have this now, I do truly hope that you develop it, to live a life that honors God. I'm blessed to receive cards from people, in fact, I just saw one today, and I've received a few cards even from my own children, which is a blessing now, because in my home, discipline was given, and it worked to a certain extent. But you want to live a life, listen, you want to live a life that's honorable. You want to be an honorable person, but you want to be able to reflect that back to Christ. In other words, you want to live a life that's honoring God. Let's look at what we read earlier. For I have received of the Lord Jesus that which also I delivered unto you. That's verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. He says the same thing concerning the cup of the Lord. Do this in remembrance of me. But I'm going to substitute not just a memory. We remember what Jesus did. But because it's talking about repentance, talking about turning away from that which you know to be wrong, I want to talk about honor. I have come to a certain conclusion in my life that Americans, we Americans, need to learn a lesson, more than one. But with regard to the word honor, you know, in in many Eastern cultures, if someone does something that's really wrong, they will actually say, I've dishonored my family, I've dishonored my ancestors, and so on. And I do believe because of some of the ideals that we have here in America, it has lent to another extreme where we say, hey, you know, I'm the one that's in trouble, not you. But you dishonored your family. You dishonored your father. You dishonored your mother. You dishonored the church that you go to or went to. You dishonored the country. And I'm going to really go on the line with this one here. Well, I spoke to a friend of mine who came back from Vietnam with a bronze star. He was drafted, spent his 18th birthday on the plane going to Vietnam. And I expressed an opinion, that's all it is. You don't have to agree with what I'm about to say, just an opinion. And so some who were in Vietnam that got, you know, silver stars and bronze stars and whatever, we remember when they came back and there was protests and stuff, and they were throwing their medals away. And I heard some of them being interviewed, and one who happened to be a Marine said, it's my medal, I can do what I want with it. And I told my buddy, I said, I disagree with that. It's not his medal, it's our medal. That's not my flag, that's our flag. So I decided to burn it, which I'm not going to. I'm dishonoring the flag. Not my flag. It belongs to the country. I believe these medals that are given out in the past, all of them belong to the country. And, you know, they were honored. But they made their decisions. And I'm not being hypercritical about that. It was a very difficult situation in those days. I'm just simply saying that in my mind, in my way of thinking, it was a dishonorable thing to do. After they had put up a terrible price. You know, many were in terrible battles, firefights. But let me stay on point. You want to live a life that's honorable. Now, we all, you know, we're very thankful to veterans who've served, and even more so with combat veterans. They come back, they've lost legs, uh, eyes, and different things, terrible things. And we honor them, and that's proper. It's proper that we do, very proper. We want to be able to honor them, but even more so, we want to live a life that's honorable to God, so that we don't take steps without thinking that if I do this, I'm going to dishonor God. And I'm going to, as a pastor, I could not only dishonor God in just one stupid move, I mean, a calculated stupid move. I could dishonor God and dishonor all of you. And many times, the thing that holds me back from the little foxes is just that thing. I don't want to dishonor God. I don't want to dishonor my wife. I don't want to dishonor my family. I don't want to dishonor the congregation I serve, and so on. 
And I do hope, if that's not your attitude today, that you adopt it. Adopt a life that is not only all about you, or I'm the one that's suffering, or I'm the one that's got the problem. You have dishonored your family, your father, your mother, children, grandchildren, whoever. As we see, as I said before, in many Eastern cultures. Live a life that's honorable. I have lived most of my adult life with the purpose of not dishonoring the very people I just mentioned, starting with God. God, wife, family, you. I brought on a lot of controversy over the years. That's a given. You know that. But I don't regret the things that I've done because in my mind, I always believed I was doing the right thing before God to honor God. But what I'm saying to you now with respect to the text, turning from sin and being right with the Lord when you take communion, but not just when you take communion, but everything you do. I told you this recently, I'm going to tell you it again. You'll never see a bumper sticker on my car. Jesus, dad, and you know, whatever. I'm not, and I'm all this. I was always concerned about, A, I would lose my temper behind the wheel with somebody and totally dishonor God. This is the truth. It's the reason I never put, well, I had one bumper sticker years ago, but I was always concerned. I'm going to cut somebody off or do something stupid, or somebody's going to get me aggravated, then, you know, all this stuff. I got a big bumper sticker, no God, no peace, all that. I'm not saying you shouldn't get bumper stickers. I'm just giving you the reason that I didn't. I didn't because I was concerned about dishonoring God. Unintentionally, but dishonoring God. And I am saying to you, it is my hope that you would adopt the same attitude to live a life that's honorable, not just to yourself, and not even just to your immediate family. I think that's the most important. But to wherever you are, the group you belong to, the church you belong to, and so on. If we would do that... I believe we would have a much better situation in the world today. But as the kids say, the younger people say, right now it is what it is. I think we need more of that. I really do. I think we need people saying, I've dishonored, I've disgraced you. Not just myself. I've disgraced you. To me, that's always been important. Loyalty to me has always been important. I understand by a bad experience now that not everybody thinks the same. They're with you when they need you. They're with you when you can do them good, and when they're done with you, they're all done with you. You've learned that too? Yeah. Fair weather friends. But for me, it's always been about loyalty. I was taught as a little kid from my grandmother. I had an Irish immigrant of a friend from Dublin. We played together as kids, and then some hours later, you know, we were living in tenements on wooden porches, and my grandmother would hang over and see me with another kid. Because I ditched, his name was Hugh, and she said, well, where's Yui? I said, I don't know, I'm playing with him. She says, you go back and stay with him. Stay with you. You started with you, you finished with you. Okay. Hugh Murphy, that was his name. He's deceased now, but that was his name. Hugh Murphy from Dublin. And I'm glad for that lesson. I'm glad for the Sisters of Charity who taught me how to write properly, write neatly. People still look over my shoulder, they see me sign my name or whatever. If I'm not doing it quickly, they say, hey, that really is your handwriting. As if I have somebody else appointed in the church to sign my name. I said, of course it's mine. But that's what I was taught. And at this stage of life, I think that it's still a good thing. The loyalty thing, though, I'm very grateful that I don't know. I've asked my mom a couple of times. I don't know. And she don't know. She don't seem to know. Is it because of our ethnicity, Irish? Is it because of how we grew up? I don't know. But loyalty was a big thing in my home with many of my relatives. And it's a big thing with me. But I'm man enough to understand and to know that not everybody feels the same way. And so you live with it. But if you can accept this statement, don't hold it against me. I often tell people, talking about loyalty, disloyalty, 
But I say, you know what? At the end, I would rather be me than most people I meet. Now, don't hold that against me. You say, this guy's kind of arrogant. And I don't mean it that way. I just mean I don't want to be like other people. And speaking in general, by the way, I don't want to be like other people. I don't want to be somebody else. I'm me, and that's what you should be. God made you unique. Don't try to be like me. I'm not going to try to be like you. You be you, and I'll be me. But we all have to come to a place, I believe, of living an honorable life. I think at your funeral, whoever is presiding at your funeral, that's one of the things they'd be able to say about you. They lived an honorable life. I see these things as words. They're just words. A life well lived. I saw that just recently on a post, and I knew the man had died. And I'm not going to write and you know, destroy the people that wrote it, but I knew him, and his life was not well lived. He dishonored God. He was a pastor. He dishonored God. He lied. He manipulated. But people say things. And especially at a funeral, you feel obligated to say good things. That's why it's difficult sometimes at a funeral. But you live an honorable life so that it can be said at the end of your days, it was a life well lived. And if not, that's not the phrase, then let them be able to say he was honorable. She was an honorable person, loyal. And that, you pay a price for that. Because it's not always going to come back to you from people. But you can bank on it. It will come back to you from God. In the book of Malachi, God says this. He says, if I be a father, we call him father, right? Father. He says, if I be a father, where's my honor? They were going to temple. They were doing this. They couldn't give the tithe because, hey, times are rough. And God says, you're stealing from me. And they said, we didn't steal from you. What are you talking about? Can a man rob God? We didn't rob you. But God said, you did. And then he goes on to say, if I'm a father, where's my honor? Let's just think about that. So I think this is a need for the general population. So let me finish today with the power of chastening. We read this earlier. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you, and many are dead. Many sleep. You have a choice to believe that text or not, but for me, I believe it, because I believe the word of the Lord. Verse 32 but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So let me repeat something I said earlier. When is the last time? Let me say this, when you were growing up, or for some of you young people that are still under the authority of a parent or parents, when's the last time you said, hey, thanks for that spanking? <laughs> but as you get older, you may go back. Again, I've had a few of my kids say this. Um, a couple of them. Thanks for the discipline. Don't expect your kids when you discipline them to say, Thanks. I wanted that extra scoop of ice cream. I don't need that. Thanks, Dad. Mom. But later on, when they're having good blood work and not having diabetes, they're going to say, well, my parents trained me, you know, not to overeat or not to eat junk food, too much junk food, whatever. The chasing of the Lord at the moment is not fun. But at the end of it, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So yesterday I was out and went down here to the river to do the show for those who subscribe to work on the message, um, now that technology is what it is, all my books are right here. Not all of them, but they got almost a thousand right here, right there. And then another few hundred on shelves. They're always quiet, always peaceful. All of a sudden, before you know it, from here to that other pulpit, this big yacht pulls up, massive, and they're tying it off. I said, you know. So there was an older woman on there. I assumed there was an older woman and her son. That was my guess, looking at their respective appearances. And she leaned over on from the top, second deck. And she said, sorry for disturbing your peace. And I said, ma'am, there's no way in the world you could disturb my peace. My peace don't come from the Mohawk River. 
My peace doesn't come from the green grass or even from the birds. My peace comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. And that's the way we overcome. It's not by the outer environment. That's going to change. It's by keeping the inner environment right with the Lord at all times. Live in such a way that your life honors God. Go home or on your way home. Thank him for the chastening. It's not a happy time right now for some of you. But thank him for the chastening. And God's chastening can be intense. But still, it's going to make you into something you never would have been without it. And with God on our side, the discipline that we're going through right now may not be a lot of fun. But in the end, we win. We win through his training. You want to be something in life? You work hard at it. And you'll be a success. But much more so with the Lord. Walking with the Lord is not as easy as some preachers would have you to believe that it is. But then again, it's not all that difficult either. He blesses us all the time. You're on your way home today, and you get home today. You start thanking God for the discipline in your life. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you more indomitable. And believe me, not everyone you know or see will have that. And especially in the days to come, when they're going to need strength, they won't have it. And you will. Let's be honest to God today. As we go before the Lord, you don't really have to respond with a yes or a no or a hand or anything. But I'm just asking you, are you an honest man? Are you an honest woman? I've tried to be and will continue to try to be without being rude or obnoxious with people. But I just try to be honest. But most of all, we have to be honest with God. And if not, are you willing to be honest? This is what I want to pray with you today about. Are you weak? Admit it. Don't pretend. And then God would make you strong. You're sick. Come to Christ for healing. You know, whatever it is. Be honest. Honest to God. Lord, today help us to be honest. Let us not deceive ourselves by thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But on the same hand, let us not deceive ourselves to think nothing of ourselves. When your word has so much to say about who we are in Christ. Help us, Lord, just to stick with what your texts say in the scriptures. But we bow our hearts today before you in humility, which in some places in the world is seen as a weakness. Apologizing is seen as a weakness, but it's not a weakness. It's a sign of real strength and being the real deal. So we humble our hearts before you today, humble ourselves. And it says, and you promise that in due season, you will lift us up. And we will be stronger for the discipline and the training that you're giving to us. And we thank you for that. You said that you would not suffer the righteous ever to be moved. If we play by the rules, that will be the case. In the end, when it's all said and done, and everything hits the fan, we'll still be standing. And that's in your word as well. Having done all to stand. So we bless you today, Father. And I pray again for those here, those watching by way of the live stream, those are listening on the radio, that they would be honest with you, humble before you, and to desire to live a life that is honoring to you, to their families, to the church, to the people important in their lives. Help us, God, to take that as our own and to say, no matter what, I'm going to live an honorable life. We bless you today, Father. We praise your mighty name. And you are great, and you are greatly to be praised. So, Lord, I just thank you that you're hearing our prayer right now. And as you humble us, as you chasten us, we thank you. This is going to make us 
Better? Bigger? Stronger? Yes, God, great is your name and greatly to be praised. So, Father, we close this service and we thank you for everything and we bless your name. And once again, God, remind us to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength, everything we have to live that honorable life. And likewise, to love one another. These are your commands, and the entire Bible is summed up in those two commandments. Help us, God. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor. We give you all the glory today for these things. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen with me this morning? Amen. Amen. Amen.